thinking on, well, I might get loud because I'm loud anyway, so I may not need this, so I'll kind of stand back. Um, as you know, my name is Lynn, and I'm a grateful Alan honor. Uh, ten years ago, um, I was literally nuts, and today I'm only a little nuts, not all the way nuts. Um, if I'll start back with, I'm one of five kids, and um, unfortunately or fortunately, I was the middleman. I am totally the middleman. I have two older brothers and two younger sisters, and I have, and age-wise, they're exactly the same. I have a brother three years older than me and a brother 15 months older than me, and I have a sister 12 months younger than me and a brother, and I mean a sister three years younger than me. So I was the middleman, and unfortunately, I was the kind of child that said, why? I don't think so. It doesn't look that. So if we're riding down in a car and your dad says, oh, wow, look at that purple moon, I'll say, well, that purple moon looks blue to me. And And I just never could quite get where the secrets and everything was in my family. So I'm kind of the... Um, the crazy one in my family, or that's where I'm, I'm kind of viewed as the odd man out in my family. And I never could quite understand why nobody would talk about some of the crazy things that would happen in my family. Now, I, um, my real father was a police officer, and he died when I was one. Now, I was told when I was younger that he died in the line of service and that he got shot. Well, um, I, then I, my mother remarried uh, a man, and he never openly drank. He, um, but he was very controlling, and uh, I didn't learn till later also that he was. He does consider himself an alcoholic, and he one day woke up and had almost killed a man and didn't realize what they were fighting about. And it scared him enough that he decided that he wasn't going to drink anymore. Although he never got into any kind of program or learned any kind of non-controlling things, um, he didn't openly drink in front of us. Now, um, I just, I was, for some reason, being the different child, I was also the responsible one. I'm the overachiever. I'm the one that uh, when... uh, uh, by the time I was in high school, I was responsible for my brothers and sisters. At that time, both my brothers were out of control with alcohol. They were in trouble with the law. And every Sunday night, I would get brought in and set up on the table and had to sit there and tell my parents where my brothers were, why, what they were doing, and why weren't they behaving. Now, this was, and I was just a child. I was, you know, in high school. And so... I've been really set up to be the responsible one, and um, some of this is I don't I don't know why they thought that I was going to be the responsible one. I was the responsible one, and also I was the scapegoat. I was also the, the one that was the odd man because I was different, and so my brothers and sisters, of course, being who I was and what my parents did, I never got invited to any parties. I never got told where my brothers and sisters hung out because who would want to tell me? Because then my parents would nag me enough that I would end up having to tell them where I thought they were. Well, this really set me up 
so of course the first guy that I fell deeply in love with was an alcoholic and I dated him and uh, I had a girl very good girlfriend whose father was an active alcoholic and she kept telling me Lynn you don't want to get involved with this man, Lynn, you know, and I kept saying, ah, oh, nah, he's nice, he just drinks a little, you know how you party when you court, and, you know, and I just, uh, now I know all the excuses that I made for him, and, and for me not seeing what I was getting into, um, so I, the, I married, and, uh, I have, there's a, there's a page in this book I would like to read, because it's, it kind of, this is sort of how I expected or how I saw life at this time. One beautiful day, a man sat down under a tree, not noticing it was full of pigeons. Shortly, the pigeons did what pigeons do best. The man shouted at the pigeon as he stormed away, resenting the pigeons as well as the offending material. But then he realized that the pigeons were merely doing what pigeons do, just because they're pigeons, not because he was there. The man learned to check the trees for pigeons before sitting down. Active alcoholics are people who drink. They don't drink because of you or me, but because they are alcoholics. No matter what I do, I will not change this fact. Not with guilt, shouting, begging, distracting, hiding money, bottles or keys, lying, threatening, or reasoning. I didn't call it cause alcoholism. I can't control it, and I can't cure it. I can continue to struggle and lose, or I can accept that I am powerless over alcohol and alcoholism and let Al-Anon help me to redirect the energy I've spent on fighting this disease and into recovering from its effects. It is not easy to watch someone I love continue to drink, but I can do nothing to stop them. If I see how unmanageable my life has become, I can admit that I am powerless over this disease, then I can really begin to make my life better. It stands to reason that a change in us will be a force for good that will help the entire family. Well, I kept this, or I kept doing this, shouting, looking for the bottles when he came home in, uh, every evening. No, oh, okay, he's had only a few now, and, and or, oh, he's had a lot, so everybody be quiet. And I continued this for 22 years and uh, yelling and screaming and until I came into Al-Anon once and I said, these people are nuts. They're saying they're grateful they have an alcoholic. They are nuts and walked out. And the only thing that saved me is um, that I um, got into a recovery group other than um, Al-Anon. And I had to, I was so inundated or so thinking that I was Miss Perfect, I was the perfect wife, I was the perfect uh, mother, and I just don't understand why he can't just put the bottle down. You know, all I had to do is maybe if I was a better lover, you know, anything. What is it that I have to do so that he would just put the bottle down and be a husband and a father to my, my myself and my daughters? And um, it, it just never dawned on me that this was a disease or that it was, because it was very easy for me to have one beer. It's very easy for me to have one drink. Um, even though my, my brothers who are active drinkers today and uh, who cannot, who have to have a drink before noon, both of them, 
I still didn't realize the pool of having to have to drink, the pool of alcoholism. Um, well, I, I just, you know, while I'm in the middle of this mess, when I was about 25, I finally found out the big secrets of my family. And uh, my mother sat down and had us all sit down and told us how our real father died. When I was one, my brother was two, my other brother was four, and my other sister had just been born. My father and mother got into an alcoholic rage fight after attending the bar, after going out to a bar one night. And since he was a police officer, there was guns in the house. And it ended up my mother had to kill my father in order, well, it was her being killed or him being killed. Um, since he was a police officer, she went to jail. The only reason that we ended up staying with my mother is, well, two reasons. Her lawyer got my alcoholic aunt and uncle to come kidnap. Now, get, just picture this. This must have been real funny. An alcoholic, uh, very active. I mean, these two people were professional people, but they came home every night and drank until they passed out. They snuck up to the state of Washington and kidnapped four little kids, all under the age of four, threw them in their car and took off and made it out of the state before anybody knew what was going on and hid us for a couple months when my mother went through the trial. At the trial, it was decided that since uh, she had these bones broken, her nose was broken, her jaw was broken, that it was pretty plain to see that either her or him was going to survive out of this this tragic fight, and it happened to be her. Um, to this day, my mom says alcoholism has not affected her life. Um, so it, it's sometimes really hard for me to realize or to not think that I'm crazy when I have all. So that was the first piece of a material where I, how I found out that I was different and how I knew there was something not quite right with my family, but I never knew because um, we would go up to my grandmother's, which was my real father's mother and father, and I, there was a lot of animosity between my mother and them, and I never knew why. And every time they would say something bad about my stepfather, well, I was... Of all the children, I still was kind of my stepfather's special one. So I would defend him. I would say, they'd say, oh, isn't he awful? Does he beat you? Does he?" Because they were looking for some way, and now I know, they were looking for some way to try to get us back. And at that time, I didn't understand as a child. And I said, no, I like him. And in saying, no, I like him, I would end up in, locked in a closet for most of the day. Until I said, no, well, maybe he's not so bad, so good. Because the other kids were smart enough to say, oh, yeah, we hate him. He's awful. He's awful. We don't like him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he did that. Yeah, he did that. And and I would stand up there and say, no, he didn't. When did he do that? You guys are crazy. And so, anyway, I spent, like, three summers at my grandparents' where it was supposed to be happy experience. I was getting stuck in the closet because I wouldn't say what they wanted me to say. And also, you'll probably realize I'm very stubborn. I stayed in bed all day one day, my mother said, because I wanted to wear red socks with a pink dress, and she didn't want me to wear red socks with a pink dress. 
And I said, okay, then I'm not getting out of bed. And she said, fine. I stayed there all day. So maybe some of the determination is also how I survived. But um, anyway, at 25, I learned how my real father um, died. Uh, in because of this, I, my two brothers are very, very angry with my mother. And my second brother, when he was in high school, would go out and get drunk. And then he would come home and try to attack my mother. And, of course, me being the rip-born Al-Anon I am, I'm the one that would get in between. One time it took five police officers, myself, and my father to take him down because he was so high on drugs and alcohol because he was running around the neighborhood throwing bricks through different people's windows and trying to attack my mom. To this day, uh, well, two years ago, my my oldest brother and my two brothers were home. It was some holiday. I hate holidays. I have a very hard time with holidays. Some holiday, and my brother, my youngest brother came in. He was beyond being nice. He can drink to a point, and then he's not nice. And he started picking on my mother. Well, you can see my size. My oldest brother is six foot two, probably almost 300 pounds. He tells my mother, well, good night. I'm going to go to bed now, as my brother is pushing her and trying to attack her. And I'm sitting in the middle of him. My brother's six foot one. Not real heavy, but he's real wiry, saying, you're not going to hit her. If you hit her, I'll call the cops. You're not going to hit her. So anyway, I still sometimes have a real hard time knowing my boundaries and sustaining in my boundaries. Um, so... Um, that is where I came back. This is where I've come as far as my family life and my background. So I was kind of set up to meet alcoholics and, and get along with alcoholics. And, and all my life, uh, I have five out of the five children. Uh, my two brothers are actively drinking, and I have a sister that drinks and does drugs. And then I have another sister that drinks. So for some reason... Um, God didn't give me the genetics for the disease of alcoholism, but I sure did get the disease of Al-Anon. And um, so, uh, let's see where I get back to. So I, I married this alcoholic. Um, of course, he was a violent alcoholic. Wouldn't just be any kind. It's got to be a violent alcoholic because that's how I. That's what I know. And so, um, uh, I've had guns drawn on me. I've been picked up and thrown through tables uh, uh, and all this. And I thought as a mother that I was a perfect mother. I had no idea the trauma and that, that it put on my girls. And because, you know, I was a perfect mother. I had, we had an escape route. I always had keys hidden. When things got too bad, I picked them up and we hid for a week at a girlfriend's house, you know. So I thought, hey, I'm doing everything right. When things get too rough, I just get out of there. We let everything cool down, and then we come back. Well, for 22 years, I tried to I attempted six times to um, divorce this man. And each time that I would say, okay, I've had it, I've absolutely had it, um, he would he would get clean and sober. And so I said, oh, okay. So he would stay out of the house, get clean and sober. And then, of course, you know, alcoholics are very good talkers. 
And so he would be back in. When he come back in, then guess what? He'd have one beer. And I'd go, well, okay. When I first started Al-Anon, it was really put me in a bind because when he had one beer, you know, Al-Anon says, don't rag on him. That's their problem. That's their problem. So you're going, okay, now I know he said he wasn't going to drink, but he's come home with one beer. Now, if I rag on him, am I, is, it, is that my place to rag on him? Or, you know, if I know that I don't have to tell him he had one beer. He knows he's not dumb. He knows he's drinking one beer. So um, at first in the program, it was real confusing. I come back to my group and I said, wait a minute here now. You tell me not to tell him he has one beer, but he tells me he's not going to drink and he comes home with one beer. What do you do with that kind of thing? So they just said, keep coming back. So uh, I said, okay, I'll keep coming back. I'll figure this out. And um, so anyway, uh, I really did a lot of damage to my kids in that uh, my oldest kid, because I, I kind of feel because I, I, I did a lot of things. My alcoholic was a violent alcoholic, but I did a lot of things to push it. You know, I didn't back down. He'd come home really drunk. I got in his face. And when, you know, uh, it's like, you're nuts. Why talk? When, you, you know you can't talk to an alcoholic when he's drunk. You know, I mean, it's just useless. Well, it took me a long time, many years to figure that one out. And maybe my mother never figured that out. And that's why it came to the end where it came. Well, when I got into recovery, it was getting really violent. In fact, um, what happened was... Um, one night, we came home from a birthday party. Well, birthday parties, for at least in my family, is a good place to get drunk. That's a good time you celebrate the little kid five-year-old's birthday, but you get drunk. So um, we had an argument. I didn't, want to, I didn't want him to drive. He drove anyway. And uh, we got home, and I was really tired, really tired. And uh, he said, you know, I'm going to blow your fucking head off. And I looked at him. I said, okay. And then he turned around, and the kids were sitting and watching the TV. He said, I'm going to blow their head off. And I said, okay. Got dressed, undressed, went to bed, slept the whole night. And this is how crazy it got. And so, for some reason, what I call my light came on. Now, there's a saying in Alan in this book that I, I really like. It says, then the intellect has little to do on the road to discovery. There comes a leap in consciousness, call it intuition. I call it my light turned on. And, and the solution comes to you, and you don't know why or how. I got up the next morning, it was Sunday, and a light came on and said, do you know how close you came to death last night? And you just went to bed? And it was God. God was speaking to me, and I said, wow, that's pretty nuts though, huh? So I went to church. I prayed on it. And that's another relationship. My God. I've always had a God in all my life. and But but my God, I always drove the bus. My God always sat in the back seat. <laughs> and my God, I always said, okay, God, now if I do this, 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 then you'll do this, 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 right? So I was a, I bargained with God, all, you know, all my life. Okay, now if if he stop, if you get him to stop drinking, I'll do this, 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 and this for you. Well, that's how my whole life went. So when I got up this day, went to church, and I said, God, we've got to get this guy to stop drinking. You know, something's got to happen. 
Well, thank goodness the um, the pastor wasn't the normal pastor of the church. It was a, a pastor that was an interim pastor, and he knew a lot about alcoholism. So after the sermon, I went up to him and I talked to him and I said, you know, this is nuts, so I don't know what to do. And he said, I'm going to find you a place to go. I'll call you back in a week. So in about a week's time, he called me and he got me into a recovery group. And it was a miracle of miracles in that my insurance from the job that I had and the other insurance um, that my um, husband had paid for it all or I would have never been able to afford it it just worked out it was God's time and my time to wake up and uh, so uh, I got into this recovery group well unbeknownst to me I didn't know that when I got into recovery I affected my whole family my whole family was so upset that they got together and told me that they would hire any psychiatrist I wanted they would pay for it if I get out of this recovery junk and go to him because I was getting crazy. <laughs> and so they just could not figure out the changes that were starting to happen to me. And my big thing is I never, you know, as a kid, because of where I was situated as being the middleman and being made responsible for my other siblings, I had to... Um, I didn't realize that I must learn to give those I love and know the right to make their own mistakes and recognize them as their own. And uh, there's, a, there's another page in here that I like that when I came into recovery, uh, I had no idea. Um, before Al-Anon, I could never tell the difference between what was and was not what was not my business. I felt I had to take care of everyone around me until I couldn't stand it anymore. I usually kept this up until I became physically ill. My body tried to tell me to pay attention to my own needs, but I simply wasn't ready to listen. Alanon helps me to listen and learn from my body, my soul, and my higher power. How do I do it? I try to check in with myself on a regular basis. Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? If so, I can make a point of stopping what I'm doing long enough to attend to my needs. When I pay attention to the messages I'm given, being given, I have a better chance of detaching from other people. And situations should be that, in situations should that be appropriate. For me, this is the foundation of serenity. I no longer have to wait until my health, my financial situation, and my emotional state collapses before paying attention to my needs. Today I can practice becoming more aware of what my inner voice is trying to tell me. I can listen and learn. Don't listen to friends when the friend inside you says, do this. And, and that was a hard lesson for me from coming from my background. In fact, me being who I am, I am uh, my job, I was a I d- delivered mail work for the post office and I and some of you know a little bit about the post office I became the union rep and was the union rep for 15 years this is besides taking care of my family besides working a day and I also coached I coached um, uh, seventh and eighth graders 
I coached basketball, baseball, and volleyball. So that's, that was my program. I, I mean, I worked three jobs and, and tried to handle and maintain my family, my immediate family, plus my other family. Um, and um, it was natural. I don't know how I did it. Today, I could never do what I did. But I did this for 26 years. My, um, I even helped people at work that didn't want me to help them. They're going, please, no, don't say anything. Don't do this. Don't, you know, please. And I got right in there, you know, and if it was right and if the contract said it, man, I just plowed right in there and, you know, I was going to fix everything. Well, I spent 15 years trying to fix everything and I didn't accomplish. Well, I did accomplish. I, you know, I saved about six people's jobs and I, you know, got a lot of people out of trouble. But I tell you right now, to this day, I never got, I got one thank you out of all that. And, and, and mainly it's because I stepped in where I shouldn't have been. And um, so that, you know, this program has been a godsend for me because it's, it's teaching me so much of uh, where my boundaries are. And um, look at my notes here. Uh, oh, I was going to at the, uh, yeah, I, I thought when I, started in this program, you know, I thought I was the perfect mom, the perfect everything. And because I had left my husband six times and come back, my kids never said anything. Uh, you know, it was never safe because mom said one thing and mom did another thing. Mom said she was going to leave the alcoholic and be gone and stay gone, but then I'd turn around and bring him back. And so they uh, never said anything. But this last time... When um, I got into recovery, and I just realized that we're just not healthy for each other. And I told him, you know, it's not that I didn't love him. And 22 years with a person is a lot of time. But it, it just, he could not, I'm too responsible and he's too irresponsible. So he loved me because the minute that I took over, that he could drink. And he could, and this, this alcoholic, Ran was a was an only child, and he'd go home. And when I kicked him out, he went home to his mom. Well, I didn't realize how much dignity I had taken away from this man, and how much lack of growing up he did. When so, when I finally decided that I was not going back to him, he came to me. And now, this is a 45 year old man, and said, "Do you know that when you pay rent, you have utilities to pay too?" And so, you know, I, I thought I was doing him a favor by doing everything for him. By, you know, I took care of the yard. I took care of the kids. I did all the running around. I paid all the bills. Um, this man was in a um, three-car, uh, was in a major, major car accident with 10% chance to live. I spent three days up. I was spent a month in intensive care with him because I feel that he was going through detox. But the... Um, Doctors kind of go, well, I had a panel of 20 of them. He was tearing up the room. You know, I, I had got, I'd been up for two days, two days, two solid days. I just had a baby a month before, and I was tired. I almost fell asleep three times trying to get the kids and I home because I was going to get a good night's sleep that night. I was going to pass out is what I was going to do. And they called me from the hospital, and they said, your husband needs you a little bit. 
I said, well, you tell him the little bit can wait until tomorrow morning. I've been there for two days. And he goes, well, no, he needs you a little bit more than that. I said, well, I'm sorry. I cannot do this. Well, my my family, since they did not like the guy, my mother in her ultimate wisdom, uh, decided that they would not help me. They never helped me. So when my husband was in this intensive care and was going through this, and I had a baby and a five-year-old, I got no help, no support from my family. I got no, no uh, money. He was my money. He was bringing in the money. I got no, um, they didn't take care of the kids. And unfortunately, I had a few girlfriends that being married to an alcoholic for an extended time, you get isolated. And I isolated myself and lost most of my girlfriends. Well, I did have a couple girlfriends. Fortunately for them, neither they, they were not married and they weren't into the kids stuff. But they did. My kids survived. But my, my poor kids, uh, my five-year-old was in kindergarten or first grade. She must have been almost six. And she um, started flunking out of school. And I had so much time in trying to keep him alive, I forgot to tell the school teacher that, you know, this kid has not been in the same bed for a month and has, you know, her whole world has been upside down. But um, anyway, back to him, uh, I had 20 doctors come to me and ask me if I thought, you know, possibly that his drink, if he was an alcoholic or if he, I said, sure he is. And they go, well, how often does he drink? I said, every night. Well, what does he drink? Oh, at least a six-pack or two. And they go, oh, well, that's not an alcoholic. I said, oh, okay. Well, when I got back in there, when they finally convinced me to come back in, and I finally got somebody to take the girls, um, he was standing up on the bed, and he, the doctor had tried to get the oxygen tank, those little oxygen tanks to him. He thought it was a bomb. And so he picked up the... He picked up the nurse and threw her out the door. I mean, it was a, you know, and they were just afraid. He's standing up on the, my husband is a rather, was a rather large man. He was standing up on the bed. He already put a hole through the wall, and they put a hole through the ceiling. And so um, they asked me if I could control him. <laughs> and I look at him, I says, well, um, I've been trying for an awful long time. I've, sometimes I can succeed. Sometimes I can't. And so um, they said, well, could you please try? Please try. And I said, well, what's going on? Well, he's having a slight problem. He had collapsed. And he wasn't getting enough oxygen to his brain, so he wasn't thinking rationally. And so um, needless to say, I succeeded. So I guess I could control him pretty good. I, I thought, well, you know, how should I control him? And I said, well, the best way I know how to do is be a sergeant at arms. So I just went into that room said, sit your ass down. And he just kind of, okay, and he sat down. But, you know, so he he's um, had several accidents like that, fortunate or unfortunate, like with this accident. He was spent a month in intensive care. It took him seven months to recoup and get back on his feet. So, unfortunately... Or fortunately, the um, all the records of the accident had been lost, and so he never did get a DUI. Or he got rec- they finally just decided to give him reckless driving for it. But um, so it was. Uh, these are just some of the tales and some of the stress that I I did in keeping 
with living with an alcoholic. And I'm sure a lot of you have the same, can tell me some tales about living with an alcoholic. Um, uh, let's see. what. Okay, I have a couple more pages that I, I picked out just kind of thumbing through here. That kind of gives you an idea of where, yeah, where am I time-wise? I don't have a clock, so. Okay. Okay. Okay, this is a good one, and this is a shock to me. I never never knew this until I got into program. Anyone who watched my interactions with the alcoholic in life probably would have considered me the crazy one. I was the one who searched from bar to bar, made scenes in public places, got hysterical over little things. I was also the one who agonized over the alcoholic's behavior, lied, made apologies and excuses, and resented everything I was doing. Was that sane? Al-Anon was the first place where I ever thought to question my own sanity. I found that I couldn't overcome the effects of this disease by force of will or reason. As they say, my best thinking got me here. But Al-Anon's second step suggests that a higher power could restore me to sanity. I know that I felt more rational in Al-Anon meeting than I did in any other place or any other time. So I turned for help to the to the power that seemed to flow through these meetings. From time to time, I still have my irrational moments, but I no longer blame my erratic behavior on anyone else. I now know exactly where to turn when I am ready to find sanity once again. Today, <clears throat> today I will force my own behavior. If it, if it could stand some improvement, I will ask a power greater than myself for help. I also get emotional. So, um, anyway, coming to this program to me was a life sentence. And unfortunately, uh, living with alcoholism that, um, didn't uh, promote, alcoholism promotes neglect of the South. And um, when I found out. When I finally decided to leave my alcoholic and my girls started getting honest with me, they started telling me that, that I was, in fact, the insane one. I was the one that they knew their dad. Their dad had come home, might have been drinking or that, but they knew that by 8 or 9 o'clock he'd be passed out on the floor. And they could either skip over him or go around him, but they knew that's what he did. And on the weekends, they knew that if he was drinking too much, if you just stayed away from him, you could be safe. But me, they didn't know. They said, you know, some nights it was fine for him to lay on the floor and be passed out because I had things to do and I didn't mind it. But other times when I was lonely, I wanted somebody to talk to, I wanted to be with somebody, I'd rant and rave. And see, they didn't know, understand that. They just knew that, never knew what mom was going to do or if mom was going to yell and scream or not. So um, I found I was in the insane one of the group. Also that now, after seven years of being away from my alcoholic, I am seeing some of the side effects of the alcoholism, alcoholism in uh, my kids and myself. You know, I still have a hard time 
staying out of other people's business. Um, my oldest daughter now is um, just got out of, legally just got out of um, an alcoholic relationship, but emotionally she's still in it. Um, I have my 21-year-old is fighting the disease of alcoholism. Um, she is hasn't um, found the program of AA, and um, hopefully, um, all I can say is that I hope me getting into recovery has opened their eyes that there is a place to go and uh, for help. Also, um, God has given me another gift, and I know um, some of you people may not think it's a gift, but um, two years ago, I found out that I'm dying of a very rare cancer. Now, at first, I was angry and mad, and uh, but now... I realize what a blessing that is. For the last two years, I have grown. I have seen all the people that have loved me, that do love me. Um, I've been able to travel. I have, uh, I have done. Mo- I, I have gotten a grandson. And when I found out I was dying, I was very angry with God, and I said, you know, I can take this I've been in and out of love I've uh, traveled you've always I've always had a decent um, job and uh, I've, I've never been hungry I've always had a roof over my head and so I said you know that's all cool but the one thing I didn't have is I wasn't a grandma and I said you know that's not fair God I want to be a grandma so a month after I got diagnosed of having this very rare cancer, um, my daughter calls me up and says, well, we weren't trying, Mom, but. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm sorry, daughter. I prayed too hard. <laughs> so I have a very lovely um, grandson, in which I've always wanted a boy. I've always had girls. And uh, so I, I've got, I was blessed with a grandson. And that's why I'm actually here, and that's why he said I'm a transient between California and Sierra Vista. Sierra Vista looks pretty good with a grandson in it. And so um, I've been enjoying him. Um, I've always wanted to go down the Grand Canyon on a river raft. I got to do that last uh, when I left my job. Um, enough people gave me enough money that I was able to go down the Grand Canyon. Uh, on a river raft. If anybody likes excitement and a thrill, that's the one. <laughs> I loved it. It, it. In fact, I gained weight. I cannot believe I gained weight. And uh, they hike you every afternoon, but they serve. I mean, our last last meal they gave you because um, they have on the on the boats they have great big ice chests with dry ice, and they had uh, shrimp. And I mean, you think you're going to a fancy restaurant every night. And I've gotten to um, go to the East Coast. I wanted to see the Atlantic Ocean. I've never seen the Atlantic Ocean. And I, I got to do that. And I found out the, it's, it's kind of a, was a kind of a 
the cancer that I have is so rare, it's like hitting the lotto, the, my doctor says. I said, it's just the wrong lotto, so it's one in five million people have it, and it's hereditary. So it's something that was in my um, genes, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of my stress didn't help it, but uh, uh, I... Um, when they diagnosed me, they started me. They told me I had three months to live. Well, you know, when you when, when you go into a doctor's office just thinking you have this pain, and you don't think that that's that big deal, and they tell you you got three months to live, it's kind of a shock. At first, I didn't believe it, and then the the doctors kind of got real cheery-eyed, and he says, "I'm I'm, I'm not kidding you. I don't kid with this kind of stuff." And so um, I said, oh, so you're telling me the truth. Okay. And uh, it took, I know, you know, I'll tell everybody, it took me three months to get my financial crapola together. And I know if you're like me, you know, you bought that life insurance someplace and you threw it in the drawer. And you bought this and you just threw it in the drawer. And it took me three months to figure out what I had and what I didn't have. Um but uh, they they chemoed me with the wrong kind of chemo, so I've had that experience. I don't hope not to have that experience again. But uh, it, it's just it was it's so rare that most ninety nine point nine percent of the of doctors would have treated me the same way because I checked it out with a lawyer. I mean, it's kind of bad to go through chemo when you didn't really have to. But I think it's just all God's way of showing me for the first time how to start taking care of myself, accepting love. And I have, um, hopefully I can read it. Uh, Let me see, I have something I wanted. I know that every experience can offer me a gift. All I have to do is to be willing to look at it, at my situation, in the light of gratitude. Um, turning my, my turning over my will in life to the care of my God is an ongoing process. My imperfections and failures are as much a blessing from God as my successes and my talents. And I hope before I die, see if I can find the page. Uh, let's see. I think it's 63. That I want to conclude with. Yeah. A, re- a recent searching and fearless moral inventory of myself gave me a clear message. Much of my behavior was extremely immature. But what is mature behavior? Obviously, the answer is different for each of us. But exploring the question can help me to identify <laughs> help me to identify my goals and apply the Al-Anon program as I seek to change this behavior. To me, maturity includes knowing myself, asking for help when I need it, and acting on my own when I don't, admitting when I'm wrong and making amends, accepting love from others, even if I'm having a tough time loving myself, recognizing that I always have choices and taking responsibility for the ones I made, 
seeing that life is a blessing, having an opinion without insisting that others share it, forgiving myself and others, recognizing my shortcomings and my strengths, having the courage to live one day at a time, acknowledging that my needs are my responsibility, caring for people without having to take care of them, accepting that I'll never be finished. I'll always be be a work in progress. And I hope that I can continue those thoughts until the end. Thank you.